Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. everybody and welcome to this episode of 30 minutes to president's club my name is armon farouk i'm here with my co-host nick sigelski and we have amira rand amira rand vp of sales and strategic partnerships over at criteria corp for five years nick why should people listen well, today's episode is super demo intensive. We talked about some phenomenal best practices related to setting expectations and demoing content. So stick around. Three, two, one, stick around. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. All right, Amira, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Perfect. Uh, Number one is really about personalizing your demos. So really making sure you're relating everything that you have in your demo back to your client, whether or not that's setting things up in your demo environment or just speaking specifically to their needs. Cool. What's number two? Never lose a deal alone. 
Get every resource you can in the organization that's willing to help you close that deal. Don't let your ego get in the way. I love that one. What's number three, Amira? Making sure that you're managing your calls from start to finish. And that's really all about preparation, making sure you're prepared for the call and knowing what exactly you want to get out of it. Okay. So Amira, I got to talk about this, this never, I've heard of never eat alone, but I've never heard of never lose a deal alone. Like what's, what's the deal with never lose a deal alone? You know, I think sometimes as sales reps, you know, we want to be the one that goes in and slays the giant elephant and brings in that big deal ourselves. When really at the end of the day, like it doesn't matter how you get the deal and how many people you bring in, 0% of $0 is zero. So I'm a big fan of getting everybody I can in the organization that's willing to help me bring them in on the deal, get my subject matter experts, get my VP of sales, get my CEO if I need to. The more people you have in the room to really hear what your prospect is saying, to understand their needs, you're bringing in different perspectives. It really helps the deal. What I've found as well is oftentimes, you know, there might be six people, especially on a larger deal, six to 10 people on the other line. It's really hard for me to manage that as an individual seller. So the more people I have there to listen, to hear the cues that I might not be hearing because I'm running the demo or that are just bringing in, they might just hear something different. They might be able to read body language differently, hear a little different inflection. It just helps really keep the conversation going and it really helps with a different level of engagement. Okay. So Amira, I understand bringing in like a subject matter expert or a solution consultant. And we've talked with other guests about bringing executives into shows, but I'm curious, what other resources are you commonly bringing in to help sway the deal in your favor? And how are you using those resources? So if I'm bringing in customer success, I'm talking about, I bring in somebody that maybe has specific experience in that industry. They're talking about what the implementation process looks like. They're talking about what their experience has been with other customers that they've specifically implemented. There's a specific jargon that they can bring to the table because they've heard the same things that the customer might be going through. And like I said, I'll even bring in a teammate. They may have actually nothing to do with sales whatsoever, but you know, bring them in because if they can talk the, the language of your prospect, it just will resonate so much better with them. And so I'm curious about, it's one thing to bring in like your VP of sales because they understand how to be customer facing. It's another to bring in like one of your super techie engineering people. And so do you have any best practices for when you're bringing in somebody who might not be supremely comfortable talking to a prospect to make that conversation as successful as possible? I think it's all about preparation. So I, as a sales rep, I am responsible for quarterbacking my call. And in order to do that, I need to prep everybody that is going to be on the call. I'm going to call my plays. I'm going to let them know how the call is going to go, what role I want them to play, where I think things are going to go, and hopefully prep them well enough so they understand my customer's needs, what I want them to speak to, and then kind of what the objective is, like where am I trying to drive the conversation. So the play is always going to go wrong. Just know that it's never going to go as intended, but at least you're prepared with a couple different scenarios before you jump on it. Awesome. And what does that briefing process look like? Are you typically jumping on a call with everybody that's going to be on the next call? Are you like whiteboarding out the discrete outcomes and role-playing those things? Like tactically, what are you actually doing with the team? Sometimes it's just a brainstorming session. So for example, if we know we're going into an RFP call, they've provided us with an agenda. We'll start talking about who do we, who else do we think is in the deal? What do we think is going to happen? 
we're looking at the different personas that are in the room. So if we have a VP of HR, we have a security person, we have legal in there. We know each of those is going to have different wants and needs. So we might need to bring in our IO psychologist because we know people are going to be talking specifically to the, the specific risks that might be introduced into the organization. I try to map the people I bring into the room to the other players that the prospect is bringing in. So that way I can have the, the deep expertise in each of the different areas we're looking at. So tell me a little bit more about like, I hear this, you have these six person demos or these six person discoveries, and you'll get these weird cast of characters in the room. And oftentimes you get certain people who are super vocal and then others that are iced out of the conversation. And they're the ones that'll blow up the deal for you. So how do you structure the calls in a way that you're making sure that you're not getting super pulled in the weeds by one person and you're effectively working the entire room? The first thing I do is I go around the room for introductions and I ask each person what they're really excited to see today or what they really want to get out of the demo. So that way, no matter what happens, I can make sure at each point in time in the demo, I'm calling on that person. So Nick, if you say you're really interested in seeing the blue widget, when I come up to the blue widget, I'm going to say, hey, Nick, you mentioned that you wanted to see the blue widget. Let me talk about this a little bit. Now, how does your process work today with the blue widget? And so then I can kind of do a deep dive into each person's individual area and make sure I'm touching on what they're looking for. So I've read Great Demo, phenomenal book. Two questions on that. One, he talks about like you might even have a, an easel or a whiteboard and you'll actually write out those things. I'm curious, I've struggled with that sort of practically, especially on Zoom. And I'm wondering, is that something you're doing at all? I think it's really helpful if the room is big enough to you can put it in the chat in the Zoom since we're all virtual right now. And make sure you get back to it because his theory is like somebody's going to hold on to that in their brain until they get their question answered. They're going to be, they're constantly going like, are they going to remember? Are they going to remember? So you want to stop their wheels turning and you want them to re-engage in the conversation. We already talked about how I'm a little bit old school and I printed out my notes. I actually write everything down. So I have like a right-hand column on my piece of paper where I basically highlight everybody's name and what it is they want to see in the demo. And then I check it off as we cover it. So one thing I could tell you were doing earlier on too is in order to work the room, you're saying upfront, what do you want to see? And then before you go into the blue widget, you're asking people what their process looks like today. And so could you talk a little bit? It sounds like you're doing some discovery during your demo. Could you talk about your philosophy around that? So I make it really clear up front, hey, I'm going to have a lot of questions for you throughout this because I want to make sure I'm showing you the things that matter most to you. That's also why I like to bring other people into the room with me because I think it helps, right? Like I, I'm not always the quickest thinker and I'm sure like when you're in the middle of a sales process, it's hard to like think on your feet all the time when you're running a demo and everything. So when you have other people in there and somebody's going through their process or you're hearing something for the first time, you actually have other people that are helping you process simultaneously. So I'm getting the sense that you're you're getting all this really good information and you're you're doing an awesome job of understanding the cast of characters in the room. And from there, you're probably getting a sense of where some of the longer conversations need to be had. And so after you have these six people in the room and then everybody splits off to do the rest of their day, could you walk us through or give us a sense of like, how do you multi-thread a deal from that point onward? Do you keep doing these six person rooms? Do you split everybody up and handle one-off conversations? What does that process look like? I mean, I think you have a great opportunity as long as everybody's okay with it, that while you're in the call, you can actually say, hey, I would love to do a deeper dive into that specific part of your process. Would you mind if we set something up after this? Now, if, if this is being run by procurement, <laughs> they usually don't let you do that. But if you don't ask, the answer is always no. 
So I'm a firm believer in just ask the questions and see what happens. And the worst they can say is, no, I'm, you know, that would be outside of our process. Okay, not a problem. Then I can always circle back with a procurement person and see what is allowed, see if I can touch base with them later. And going a step back in the process, I I guess, at what point are you doing these six-person demos? Are you guys doing this on the first call, the 10th call? Where does the line between discovery and demo start to get blurred together? You know, we do, oftentimes it starts with just one person. You're doing the discovery and they're slowly bringing in the, the stakeholders that you need. You know, you're always asking the question, hey, is there anybody else who's going to want to be a part of this process? Is there anyone else that's going to feel like they've been left out if we don't include them in this conversation? You know, asking a little bit about the person's organization. So we tend to work with VPs of HR, uh, CHROs. We're talking to them about, hey, tell me a little bit about what your organization looks like. Who does what? And so as you're learning about that, that's, and that's upfront, I can then pull later on, I can say, Hey, you know what? You mentioned that Kathy was a really important stakeholder in your organization. Do you want to include her in on the demo as well? And so you're kind of taking the information that you're getting throughout the process and incorporating it into who is it that I need to include in my process. So Amira, I want to talk a little bit about that demo that we're presenting now, because we talked about sort of the upfront piece where you're asking each individual on the demo what they're hoping to see. I guess after that, what does that meeting and engagement look like? For me, I'm a firm believer, and I would assume most people are telling you this, like to personalize your demos. And that's from every aspect. So whether or not it's the deck and you're putting the client's logo on there, it happens to be a soft drink manufacturer, and you can put put your logo next to theirs or personalize the the can of soda that you might be, you know, presenting to whatever it might be, like use the customer's vision and their values and incorporate that into the deck. If you have a demo site or you're running them through a demo, make sure that you're using their logos in there. Also, for example, we we help people with hiring. So if somebody is a a widget manufacturer or they're a bike shop, for example, we're going to be showing, you know, the different jobs that they might be hiring for. One of them might be a bike repair person. Well, that's the title we're going to use. One of them might be a bike store manager. That's the title we're going to use. And then we're going to use the appropriate assessments we would recommend for those roles. If you, you know, so whatever you're doing, make sure that you're taking their process and they're really able to see it in your demo environment. So I think one of the examples I've talked about is if you're an ERP system and you happen to be talking to somebody that manufactures desks, their bill of materials should be all the different parts of a desk. It should be a desktop. It should be the legs. It should be the controller that moves the desk up and down. And you put a few of those in there so they can really feel themselves in the environment. And they start thinking about what comes next. Well, how would this work? And it kind of brings it a little more to life for them. Could you talk a little bit about how the voiceover changes too? Because I, I get the sense that you're heavily, heavily customizing things like the job titles and the logos and all of that stuff. But is the way you're talking about your product changing and customized to the customer too? The demo itself is really, I, I pick what I'm going to show in the demo based on my discovery. So I don't do the same demo every time, but it's like a Chinese menu, right? When you go, I have the choice of three different appetizers and, and four different noodle dishes And so, but I'm mixing and matching those different items from the Chinese menu based on what I've gotten from the client and discovery. So I have a question about sort of that Chinese menu and and when you're actually in the demo and 
I found this in the ERP that I sell. There are some times that a customer will get very fixated on a specific functionality that we're able to solve for, but it probably means we need to take a step back, do some more discovery, maybe even pull in another resource. And like, it kind of turns into a rat's nest if we end up talking about a very specific feature for 20 of the minutes. How do you prevent that from happening? Because that can derail what otherwise would be a great demo. I think if you're going into a training session or you're talking about specific functionality, you're going down the wrong place and you probably want to redirect. So I would recommend parking lot it and saying to that person, hey, could we take that offline? I'd love you take, to take you down that road, but I want to make sure I have, the again, the right people in the room. Let me get a customer success manager in here and they can really talk to you about the details. And then what I would do is I would hopefully get the chance to take that offline and then I would quarterback that next call in terms of exactly what I want it to look like. Like I want to show them A, B, and C, and it should be a 15-minute call max. That would be my recommendation in terms of how to get myself out of that. But I can't tell you it's never happened. So one of the things that I've heard about is that people want to limit the amount of screens they're switching. And you, you talked about like selecting very, very specific places so you don't show them everything all at once. Are you doing anything upfront to put customers at ease where they're like, well, what about all the other pieces of the product that we're missing out on to frame it so that you're only showing them exactly what they need? Oftentimes, you know, we are saying, hey, we are going through this process and this this is demo is for you. Like I need to find out all of this information so I can show you what it is that applies to you in the first place. I don't want to show you the whole system. Otherwise, it's going to take us four hours to get through this demo. So let me show you what applies to you and how you would use the product. And then if I've done a good job at discovery, then it shouldn't be a question. I guess that leads me to another question where it's, you know, before you show a lick of software, my guess is you have a sense of like, these are the things I need to know about the company, their problems and all of that. And so do you have a checklist or do you have a, any rule of thumb that says like, don't show software until X is accomplished? Yeah, I'm a firm believer in we don't show the software and we don't show pricing until we understand what the customer is trying to solve for at a minimum, right? Like I can figure out what they do. I can go search online, but if I don't have a problem they're solving for, then I... I have no rights to tell them how our software will help them. And that's what a demo is. I'm showing you how I can help you. And I think, you know, we have a lot, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of new reps and, and I know I even felt this way. I felt like, oh my gosh, if I'm doing all this discovery and I'm asking them all these questions, am I wasting their time? I feel like I'm intruding on their time. Like they called me to get answers. Well, in, the, in reality, like I'm not doing my job if I'm not asking them questions to give them the right answers. So I have to diagnose before I prescribe. Like my doctor is going to ask me a whole ton of questions before he tells me what the solution is to my problem. And the same thing is for me. I don't think of myself as a salesperson. I'm I'm consulting with you. I am on the same side of the table as you. And my job is to help solve your problem. So Amira, I've been there as the new rep where I'm a little uncomfortable asking questions to uh, maybe a functional stakeholder. And I think I'm past that now. I still feel a little awkward pushing procurement, especially for questions, especially before I demo something or even give them pricing. And so it sounds like you're dealing with a lot of RFPs and you're dealing with procurement a fair amount. And I'm so I'm curious what strategies you use to like actually learn about, like actually do discovery when you're you're thrown into talking with procurement first. Again, it's if you don't ask, the answer is always no. And 
we will tell the procurement person, look, I, I know the demo is only 60 minutes. Can you send us a list of questions up front? Can you send us like we always ask for an agenda, what they want to cover and who's going to be in the room at a minimum. Sometimes you just can't get the information you need. And so you just got to be scrappy and figure it out. You got to go to their website, see what you can find there, see if you can figure out what kind of ERP system they use or what have you ahead of time. But yeah, when it comes to the procurement side, you can't always get what you need. So we literally, again, it's the, if you don't ask the question, the answer is always no. So we just send them a litany of questions and hope we get some answers. All right, Amira. So we talked about a lot of good habits. We went far deeper into demo than I think we've gone into in many of our other interviews. We got to talk about one other thing. And so our final question, we're switching it up here. What is one thing outside of work that every rep should be doing to be more successful? So oftentimes we're like, well, should I do this or should I? No, just do like figure it out. Like I, I don't have all the answers. None of us do. Like Nick, you mentioned like, it's kind of the fake it till you make it. Right. And, and we all think, and I, I'll really expect my parents, like we all think our parents like, oh, they knew everything or they were like, we're all just making this up as we go along to an extent. Right. And some of it's based on experience and some of it is just good judgment. And when you're in sales, like just use your good judgment and you'll figure it out. Like we don't have all the answers. Even your leaders don't, right? Like you like to think they do, but we don't. And so just go out and you figure it out. You get a new project, you're going into a new market, research, prepare, figure it out, test it out, learn it, be prepared to fail. You're going to fail a lot and then you'll figure it out. Is there anything else you want to plug before we jump off here? Follow me on LinkedIn. Follow me on YouTube. Click like. Wait, what is it? I think that's what my daughter always says. What's this there little thing? There's like this little thing that you say at the end. No, I'm good. Subscribe, like. I think you can find Amira on TikTok. Maybe yeah. not. Don't find her on TikTok, <laughs> but find her on LinkedIn. Connect with her. And she's up to some Find me on the Insta, yo. There we go. Yeah, you no. find her on Insta. <laughs> and everybody, hang on. 60 second recap email coming up soon. Adios. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect, Jane, just got promoted. From there, in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Amira Rand include, number one, that room of six people, that room of six prospects needs at least two salespeople in it. Do not lose the deal alone. Number two, 
When you're talking to your team prior to bringing them into that group call, you need to brief them on the cast of characters in the room and the different outcomes of that demo, not just going into the call completely blind. Number three, at the beginning of a demo, ask each person in the room what they want to get out of the call and then take all that stuff, write it down and put it in the Zoom chat. And this is another reason why you need multiple people in the room is it's really hard to do that when you're alone. And then lastly, number four, take their logos, take their job titles, take everything you know about their business and customize your demo environment so that the demo feels like theirs, not like some boilerplate pitch. Nick, how can people help us out here? Well, let me flip this one, Armand. Why don't you tell the folks how they can help us out? Well, thank you, Nick. I just joined a company called Trove, and they're selling the CHROs, and they're backed by YC. They're backed by Andreessen Horowitz, the top-tier investors in the game, and I'm looking to build a world-class sales team. And so I'm hiring today SDRs and mid-market AEs. And so if you are crazy enough to want to work for somebody like me, all you got to do is send me at Armand at 30MPC.com, Armand at 30MPC.com. Send me your top three actionable takeaways, just like at the beginning of the show, and do that in Vidyard and Drift Video, whatever you want to do, and get it over to me. If you do that, you'll float to the top of the resume stack. Adios. Jeez, that's all I've got. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the show. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to draw drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them.